as we get ready to hear our second scripture, um, we'll remember that, you know, we're moving through the season of Easter, these uh, 50 days between Easter and Pentecost where we celebrate resurrection and we're looking for glimpses of life. So in the past few weeks, we've looked in those scriptures that come right after resurrection as the, the disciples experience the risen Christ. And for the next few weeks, the lectionary takes us into the life of the early church, where as a community in those first days, they experienced the risen Christ. Today's scripture is really just a glimpse. It's short. It's like five verses. So if you blink, you may miss it. So listen up. It is jam-packed with life. As you listen to the scripture, as you listen to Dave read, where do you see life? Where do you see resurrection? Where do you see the community living differently because of the risen Christ? Our second scripture today is Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and community, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed to, were together and shared all things in common. They would sell their possessions and good and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, God added to their numbers those who were to be saved. We celebrate the written word of scripture. Thanks be to God. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Loving Christ, day by day we gather together, we gather in your presence and experience your life. As we gather once again around your living word, May you open our hearts and transform us so that we might live your life in the world as the body of Christ. Amen. A few years back, Robert Fulgham wrote a little book called All I Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. As a part of his spiritual practice for years, Fulgham had tried annually to write out his own credo. Every year, his own statement of the values and principles that guided his life. Year after year, his credo got longer and longer and more complex until he says it started to look almost like a Supreme Court legal brief. Then one day, Fulgham had an epiphany. He realized that most of the things that he needed to live a meaningful life he already knew. They were actually pretty straightforward, and so he wrote a new credo that began like this. All I really need to know about how to live and what to do and how to be, I learned in kindergarten. 
Wisdom was not at the top of the graduate school mountain, but there in the sand pile at Sunday school. These are the things I learned. This is his list. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say sorry when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands before you eat. Flush. Live a balanced life. Learn some and think some and draw and paint and sing and dance and play and work every day some. Take a nap every afternoon. I love that one. I'm going to follow it today. When you go out into the world, hold hands and stick together. Now those might sound simple, maybe too simple, too cute. But there's a reason that Fulgham's book stayed on the bestseller list for years and that it's now being celebrated this year with a 25th anniversary edition. In these simple words, there is real truth. We hear them and we know, we remember some of the first things we ever learned about how to live together in this world. Take them, Fulgham says, and extrapolate them into adult terms, family life, government policy, and they hold true and firm. The golden rule and love and basic sanitation, ecology and politics and equality and sane living. What would our world look like if nations, if nations had as a basic policy, don't take what's not yours? Clean up your own mess and put things back where you found them. Where would we be in climate crisis if we had followed these truths? Don't take what's not yours. Clean up your own mess. Don't hit people. What if we really lived out nonviolence? What if our economic systems and practices reflected the simple principle, share everything? Well, if we really took those truths to heart, it might just turn our world upside down or right side up. Today, we're just going to look at the first principle on Fulgham's list, share everything. Because share everything is at the heart of this morning's scripture, this glimpse from the book of Acts of what life and community looked like in those first days after resurrection. This morning's scripture actually comes after Pentecost, just after Pentecost, 50 days after resurrection. Remember, Acts is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke, the continuation. At the close of the Gospel of Luke, the followers of Jesus have just experienced the trauma of crucifixion and bewilderment at the empty tomb. They've experienced the risen Christ last week on the road to Emmaus in conversation on a long walk on a dry, dusty day and in the breaking of bread. Jesus ascends to heaven. And then as the book of Acts opens up, the spirit of the risen Christ 
comes to all those gathered at Pentecost. They speak in each other's languages and understand. And Peter stands up and explains, this is what the prophet said. I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons, your daughters, your children. They will prophesy. Your elders will dream dreams. This promise, this promise is for everyone, for you and for your children and for all who are far off. And then immediately after that, the very next verses, the book of Acts says, and this is what life looked like. They lived life together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to community, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. To the apostles teaching remember this is early days still even even the apostles are still trying to figure things out they're learning together as they go what it is to live in the truth of resurrection peter has now offered a first word and they still have plenty of life to live as they figure this out they devoted themselves to learning together and to community some Bibles translate that as fellowship. I think if you looked in your pew Bibles, that's what you'd see. I translate it as community, but it's hard to capture the fullness of what's being expressed. It's that Greek word you may have heard, koinonia. It's community infused with and woven together and enlivened by the Spirit of Christ. Justo Gonzalez calls it a life of sharing and solidarity, a community in which love takes concrete shape. They devoted themselves to life and love together in community and for the breaking of bread. Throughout Luke and now into Acts, always central, this breaking of bread, and that takes us back, back to the road to Emmaus where they recognized the risen Christ in the breaking of bread, back to the Last Supper, Christ's body broken open into life, back to the feeding of the multitude, always, always, always Christ bringing us life, feeding the hungry, welcoming everyone to the table. What Christ did, they are doing. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And then, the sharing part gets even more explicit. Share everything. The scripture says that they had everything in common. They shared everything in common. They sold what they had, and they gave the proceeds to everyone as they had need. They redistributed the wealth and resources that was trusted to their care according to need. They shared everything. That's radical. I've probably told this story before. I'm almost certain I have. It's a favorite of mine. But the first time that I heard scripture was at First Presbyterian Church, Birmingham. The pastor, one of my mentors and friends, Eugenia Gamble, was leading a Wednesday night Bible study on this scripture, and Wallace McCroy, who was sitting at one of the tables, who was about 90, he was a pillar of the church and about as Southern as Southern gets, Wallace raised his hand and said, why, Eugenia, they sound like a bunch of communists. And Eugenia replied, well, Wallace, I reckon they were. Now, I wouldn't use the word communist because it brings too much 20th century baggage. I've heard what we see in the scripture called 
communitarianism. That's a thing. It's an economic system that centers the relationship of individuals in community. What is best for the health of and thriving of individuals in community, particularly the most vulnerable. They gave to anyone as they had need. The, the resources that are held in common, how do we use these best to meet the needs of individuals and families in our life together, particularly the most vulnerable? I would say that what we see here is a sharing economy they took what they owned and sold it and gave to anyone as they had need. Share everything. That is quite different from the economy we inhabit. An economy that values private property and ownership as the principal motive for hard work, invention, and national wealth. And that prompts the question, do we really think this ever happened? It's a real question. Is this even possible? That folks would sell what they have, giving to anyone to meet any human needs that arose. I am pretty sure I've preached on this. I know I've preached on this scripture before, and I'm pretty sure that I said, I'm not convinced that this actually happened. It's too ideal. I've suggested that this is more a forward-looking hope of who we aspire to be. But I've changed my mind. Who's to say this didn't happen? Who am I to say this didn't happen? The resurrection community remembered this and told this story again and again, and they wrote it down and handed it down until it made, it's made its way all the way to us. It was an important expression of who they were. In those first days after resurrection, after the Spirit came upon us, this is who we were, if only for a moment. This is what resurrection looked like in us. It is a memory of who we hope to be in Christ, a community where love takes shape, where we live together and learn together and break bread together, share what we have so that everyone can thrive. Now maybe lived out into its fullness, the share everything of the Scripture does feel radical, but I think we see glimpses. I think this is actually a hope that has been passed down through the generations. Something like this lived out, perhaps imperfect, imperfectly, but grace abounds, lived out generation after generation. We see glimpses here. The deacon's offering. Regularly, this community takes up an offering that the deacons then administer to meet needs that arise in the community. Folks give, and what's taken up is then shared as any have need. There's the sensibility offering. Partnering with churches up and down the presbytery, we take up an offering to help with food scarcity, and it's distributed to help those who have need share everything. There's the food barrel over there. This community brings up cans and packaged foods. Those cans are taken to the food bank. Food, folks come to the food bank and take food as any have need. Share everything. 
the community fridge is taking this to a whole new level. This is becoming part of our daily practice, a 24-7 presence in the midst of this neighborhood. The community fridge sits over there on the other side of Duncan Hall on Ross Avenue, and the sign on the door extends the invitation, take what you need and leave what you can. That comes pretty close to this morning's scripture. There's a rabbi, Maimonides, a 12th century Jewish scholar who described the different rungs of what he called the ladder of giving. There's giving where the giver and recipient know each other. There's giving where the giver is known but doesn't know who the recipients might be. There's giving where the recipient is known but the giver is unknown. And then there's giving where neither the giver nor the recipient know each other. It's just the gift. That's the community fridge. Someone leaves what they can. Someone comes and receives what they need and so it goes. They sold what they had and gave to anyone as they had need. Share everything. In just a moment, we'll have the chance to bring that principle, share everything into our public life into our advocacy for justice globally and nationally. As, as Barbara explained last week, after worship today, you can participate in Bread for the World's offering of letters as we write together in support of the 2023 Farm Bill, one of the most important annual pieces of legislation addressing hunger, food scarcity, and the global lopsided distribution of access to food. Globally, over 700 million people experience hunger every day. Every year, 2.6 million children die of hunger-related causes. In the U.S., 15% of American families struggle to put food on the table. One in five children in the U.S. are at risk of hunger. After worship today, we have the opportunity to write to our legislators in support of the 2023 Farm Bill that protects supplemental nutrition programs, including those for women and children in school lunches, that guarantee that kids get at least one good, healthy, hot meal a day. It increases aid to marginalized, excluded groups. It provides help for global, maternal, and child nutrition. And it tries to, to start to address the threat to food security that comes with climate crisis and collapse. They took what they had and gave to anyone as they had need. Share everything. This sharing economy that we see in this morning's scripture, as radical as it sounds and is, we see glimpses. But let's push just a little further. A little further from these glimpses we know and live out into the everything part. Share everything. Nationally, what would it look like if we set about to restructure our economic systems so that they took as their first and primary concern meeting the needs of the most vulnerable in our midst. 
What if our systems and policies reflected that value? In the language of Jesus, that would be good news for the poor. And even closer to home, this church sits on what has to be several million dollars of real property without one bit of debt. As Presbyterians understand it, this congregation holds the property in trust, both legally and as a matter of our faith. In, we hold it in trust to accomplish the work of Jesus Christ in the world. What I just said is actually in the Presbyterian Constitution. If this community holds this in trust for the work of Jesus, with this model of sharing what's entrusted to our care with anyone as they have need, what might it look like if this community leaned even more, just a little, and then maybe even more than that, into this principle, share everything? We got a glimpse of that with the rest shelter where during winter months, folks who were unhoused were fed and housed for a night in partnership with other faith communities. And just this week, a group of folks went over and visited a synagogue in Oakland to learn more about how we might create a living space for a refugee or refugee family so that they could find temporary shelter, a place to live while they are awaiting their asylum hearing. What would it look like to do that? Not just the construction of that, but what type of shared commitment would that look like? What type of volunteer effort would folks need to make, would we need to make individually and together to extend that kind of hospitality, to lean even more deeply into share everything? How else? How else might we use what's been entrusted to our care to share with anyone as they have need? Robert Fulgham points out that his kindergarten credo is not kid stuff. When lived out in adult lives in a complex world, it's not all that simple, but it is no less elemental. What's described of the early church may indeed feel like a radical ideal, but remember also that as they were committed to sharing everything, they were also committed to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. They were committed to living and learning together. I started reading about something called communities of practice. We'll probably talk more about this in the future because there's not time to treat it fully today. But a community of practice is a group of people who share a common concern or passion for something they do and they learn how to do it better as they interact regularly, as they live life together. That could be said of the community in Acts 2 and of us. Now gosh, I know that may be a lot think about. So let's go back to first things. Share everything is indeed something we learned in kindergarten. It is elemental. So too is the life we see described in Acts 2. Our ancestors in the faith are not just figuring out in that passage how to live life. They are figuring out how to live the life of Christ. Jesus 
whom they loved and followed and experienced as the risen Christ, said, The Spirit is upon me to bring good news to the poor, release to the captive, freedom for all who are oppressed, and the forgiveness of every debt. In those first days of resurrection, just after Pentecost, the Spirit is upon them. The Spirit is in them. And they are learning together what it is to be the body of Christ. And so they say of their lives to those who would follow, to their descendants, to us, we committed our, ourselves to learning, to community, to the breaking of bread. We shared everything. We gave to anyone as they had need. And as we did, people drew near and they were fed. And we thrived. And in all that, this is how we found our way to life. 